I'm Theo. And I'm Juliet. And this is Apologies Accepted. We offer an entertaining look at some of the big issues in history by examining public apologies of the famous and infamous. We're looking at politicians, serial killers, actors, and you. Send us a public apology you would like to make, and we'll read it on the air and give you a chance to redeem yourself, or just get some guilt off your shoulders. We're here for you. Once a week, maybe more if you're really, really sorry. Hi, everybody. This is um, Apologies Accepted. The podcast. <laughs> and uh, I am not Theo. And I am not Juliet. And we're talking about Ellie Kemper today. Hooray. But before we get into that stuff, Theo, how the heck have you been? I have been great, as usual. Um, how can you not be great? Trump is no longer president. The pandemic oh, in the U.S. God. is kind of mostly over. I went to a birthday dinner uh, Friday night, and it was with um, some people that I know. I, I, I like them, but I don't know them very well, right? Yep. And um, it, it's that level of familiarity where you shouldn't discuss politics, right? You don't oh, yeah. tell very off-color jokes. They're nice people, and they're fun, but I I don't know how far I can run before I offend somebody, right? Right. Which right. um, sort of got really quiet, and I was like... Who here is so surprised by how great a job President Biden is doing? And hands went up. <laughs> That's how quiet it was. His hands went up. Before, like, um, Me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then, uh, then we had a great conversation about politics and who our favorite, uh, I was going to say runners, runners were. Wouldn't that be great if the primaries were really just a literal race? Or, <laughs> A marathon? Who wins the marathon? Right. Instead of a verbal Hunger Games, right? Who can say the yeah, snarkiest thing? Yeah, actual or, physical right. Hunger Games. Uh, but yeah, and then moving. So um, packing, staging still, and uh, my life is, will it fit in a cardboard box? Great. Wow. That, that is sounds it. exciting. Yeah. I have nothing to report. I'm going to Long Beach next week, Long Beach, California, for Lucky. a week. Um, just to hang out. It's kind of a weird place to go to kind of hang out, but it's there. How dare you? That's my hometown. It's not, it's not super expensive to go spend a week near the beach. And so I'm familiar with it already. So I'm comfortable going there and hanging out. And I think everything will be just fine. Can I just tell you, I'm laughing so hard because that is the most Long Beach thing anybody could say about Long Beach. Town I love, (laughs) right? It's like, I'm familiar with it. So I'm comfortable. (laughs) <laughs> i know people aren't really going to be chasing me down the street with knives and oh, if they do not. i know yeah. i can run faster than those bitches so <laughs> i'm good i didn't mean it that way though i meant it more like you know i i know i know long beach so i'm comfortable going there and hanging out for a week i don't i don't mean it that long beach isn't the scary place that everyone probably thinks it is from all the rap songs uh, although part of it is oh so. yeah um but part- <laughs> i won't be going to that part part of it's great and part of it's uh, quite urban, you know. Um, yes, it's a big yes. city. It's a big city, yeah. It's a but big I'll be city. I'll be in the small town area of Long Beach, so which is probably to say the white suburban area of Long Beach. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm um, wrong. You correct me. It's. Uh, I'll be in Belmont Heights. Oh yeah, you're in the white suburban. I was thinking you were going to be on Ocean Boulevard, um, no. you know, and have like 
sort of an ocean view. And I can be like, that's yeah, a city. But uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it'll be fine. It's I'll be a- three, three blocks from the beach. So I guess that's still sort of Belmont Heights, but we'll see. The beach is nicer that stretch. That's good. Yeah. Further south you go. Um, cool. And I know our listeners are like, I'm never going to Long Beach. Why are they talking about I don't care? Sorry, uh, sorry, guys. sorry, listeners. <laughs> part of this podcast is us catching up with each other, so you just kind of have to listen in on that part, I guess. And yeah. If you don't like it, you can fast forward to you know whatever ten minutes or however many minutes we go on about ourselves. Oh, today's twenty five. Uh, We're talking about Long Beach, my adopted hometown. I should be more clear. I'm sure people. Are When's like, the last time you were there? It's been a year. Uh, oh, that's not that bad. Yeah. Um, There's a big flea market that happens in Long Beach uh, once a month on Sundays, and it's an amazing flea market. It is well worth flying down from San Francisco to go to this flea market or driving down. It's it's phenomenal, right? It's like the size of a of a stadium, football stadium. Nice. Um, It is great, and so uh, I went to that, and then sometimes when I'm in Palm Springs and we drive out to LA at um, Long Beach is a bit of a hike from downtown um, LA, but I'll go down and I'll sit in front of my old apartment and cry. (laughs) It was so beautiful. (laughs) Once I got up and I walked onto the uh, uh, front porch. Right. Uh Uh, And then I was like, I really shouldn't be here. This is so stalkery. (laughs) And and, yeah, but uh, yeah. Anyway, um, Enough about me. This is your trip to Long Beach. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't really have any plans other than walk with the dog on the beach in the mornings and the afternoons and the evenings, and that's about it. Um, so, and eat at a couple of places that I know of and uh, enjoy myself and just go somewhere different than here, basically. So I'm looking forward to it. I, it could be anywhere that I'm going, really. It just doesn't matter to me where I go as long as I go somewhere different. Yeah. So I'm excited to be going somewhere different. And I feel exactly the same way. I'm headed out to Palm Springs in a couple of weeks and I'm driving and I just, I cannot wait to get on the road and yep. go someplace. Yeah. It, it yep. doesn't even, I mean, I'm excited to be going and visiting my friend, but sure. it doesn't matter where I'm going. Just like, I'm going somewhere. I'm doing, oh, yes, speaking of exactly. going places and excitement, because I know that's all pandemic stuff. Like we've all been trapped yeah. in our own little box, our own little bubble or whatever. Yeah, I went into a supermarket on Thursday without a mask. Uh, Trader yeah. Joe's was allowing people. Uh, I mean, lots of lots of restaurants and lots of uh, places in and around Austin are now saying, "Man, eh, masks are kind of optional if you're fully vaccinated." And so I walked in, and I was, I had it in my pocket just in case, and I was looking around, mm-hmm. and I'd say fifty percent of staff and customers were mm-hmm. unmasked, and the other half were wearing oh. masks. Right, oh. and and I was doing that thing of like, okay, or is it more customers that aren't, or more staff that aren't? No, it seems pretty evenly split. Okay, is it more like women who aren't, or men who aren't? Right, is it more people who look Republican who aren't? I was doing this whole analysis, <laughs> trying to like, yeah, yeah. what's the story? What's the story? And it did have this weird feeling that reminded me exactly of the same weird feeling I had when the pandemic was starting to ramp up last March, uh, March of 2020, and seeing a few people walking around with a mask on and thinking, Mm -hmm. should I be doing that? 
maybe uh, it was the same thought and the same feeling of interesting. Maybe I should be doing that, but it was out of politeness, not a out of like I'm going to die of some unknown flu. Uh, right, or, uh, right. I know it's not the flu, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. So did you put it on? Did you put a mask on? No, I just kept patting my pocket, and I'm sure it looked like I was touching myself, which didn't make anything better in this scenario at all. The perfect solution. I walked around patting my pocket, kind of like subliminally telling people, I have a mask if I there's need a it. mask in my pocket. I'm a Democrat. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been anywhere. I don't think I've been anywhere. I don't I literally haven't been anywhere since I went to Arizona. We we went for a walk and walked down to the um the uh, Conservatory of Flowers or whatever it's called and that's about the only thing I've done since I got back, which is really embarrassing now that I think about it. But I've just been working my butt off. So Oh no, I'm sure that's all I've done. I'm sure work sucks, but I'm laughing at the Conservatory of Flowers. I'm like, is that a nursery? Kind of. Or like a it's, garden? It's, Can you buy them? It's a big greenhouse. And it's, no, it's a public place that you go and look at flowers, basically. Okay. That's right. cool. It's in, it's in Golden Gate Park. It's part of the, um, the, there's a big area that's inside is our, the greenhouse flowers and outside are some other flowers that they swap out every month or so. And it's just a really nice place to go on a sunny day. So we took the dog and walked out there and just hung out for a little bit. It was just nice. So glad you said we, because that reminded me. So one, I want to ask, I know um, uh, Brent has been fully vaccinated. Is he yep. more comfortable leaving the house now and going to do things? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he took the car in to be serviced last week. So he did that. And I don't think he wore a mask. So he's getting to be more comfortable. I mean, we we never went grocery shopping before anyway. We've always had groceries delivered for years and years and years. So we don't really do the grocery store thing. So I guess in general, we don't get out all that much. But we haven't been out to eat in a restaurant yet. Although I think that's probably going to happen maybe after I get back from Long Beach. Oh, cool. That's great. I'm thinking about going somewhere for brunch or something on a, on a Saturday or Sunday. You totally should do something like that. It's, um, yeah. it's great to do a thing getting back to normal air quotes around normal it will be a process i sort of had it in well, my head i'm really that, like, concerned about this new variant or the variant the the one six seven uh, the delta or whatever one it is yeah i think so so i'm i'm pretty so, worried about that one so far yeah. the so, the okay. numbers seem to be that uh the vaccines are holding up against them but that if you are vaccinated and you do become infected, I hate to say that because it sounds like I'm talking about it, some zombie movie thing now, right? You get mm-hmm. infected. But um, the that uh, the severity is greatly lessened. So yeah. if yeah. you do I've, contract I've COVID, it's much less serious. Thank God. And then I understand they're probably going to be doing booster shots before the end of the year or something like that. So that would be good if, if we get booster shots. Um, I I'm going to tell you, if I don't get another shot by October, I'm going to be breaking into some place and just drinking that stuff straight out of the vial. I know, right? I'm thinking about like going to get the Johnson & Johnson shot just to have it, you know, just to have the extra extra bonus shot. But I'm sure that's not going to work. So but They're saying that um, if you do... Uh, uh, I don't want to call it mix and match, but it's sort of like that, right? So if you were yeah. if you got your Pfizer, then maybe your next one, your booster, should be Moderna because uh-huh. uh, it's basically each. If you think of each vaccine as a camera that takes a photograph of the virus, then mm-hmm. each vaccine is taking a picture of the virus just from different angles, 
And so introducing a different angle of the same photo to your body may be beneficial and helpful. Could be, could be. It's worth a try. Who knows? So right? maybe I'll do that. I was, I was looking at um, in LA this weekend. They're giving shots at the Pantages, and for free, of course. And and I was thinking if I were down there, I would probably drop by and get a shot just for the hell of it. It's Johnson and Johnson, so it's one and done. So that would be good. But it's just one weekend for some reason. I don't know why. But anyway, All there right. you go. Yeah, I don't know. Useless well, information for everyone. <laughs> uh, oh this world god this this world like which doorway did we randomly open and walk through without paying attention to land in 2020 2021 right i know it's a it's a crazy time it's scary just all the way around everything is scary i'm much less scared in general than than i was like this time last year holy moly was, oh jesus yeah last year i was like i don't know the world might end i mean this could be there was the black death in the 1300s like yikes maybe maybe well we'll keep our fingers crossed that that doesn't happen so far so good and if it does we've all discovered that you can just get drunk every night and you can stay home oh that reminds me of a joke so um, it was, I now, having survived the 2020 pandemic, I now understand why all the paintings in the Renaissance show fat people laying on couches naked because <laughs> of the Black Death. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, it, I've, yeah. I've sort of, I'm going to have to find that joke because it was funnier than what I just said. But I mean, that, that was, was the joke, though. right? Yeah, yeah. It was correlate Black Death to the coronavirus, fat, naked couch. Boom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I certainly gained some corona weight, and I'm trying to lose it now. I've lost like 10 pounds in the last week or two, and it's hell. I do not recommend to anyone that you ever lose weight. I'm only doing it because I'm just... I have a problem with myself, and no amount of therapy will fix it. (laughs) So I I don't recommend weight loss. You're perfect. And so the <laughs> fact that you have a problem with yourself just means you are more perfect than... Because I'm relatable now. It's a perfect trait to have. <laughs> so on that note, let's talk about... Talk about um, people who have problems. People who have real problems. So um, we're talking about Ellie Kemper today. And if you are on Twitter, you know why. Um, she was involved in... Um, an organization as as a young person called the um, Veiled Profit Association or Veiled Profit Organization, um, which came about in um, about the 1870s, I think 1878. Um, in the 1870s, uh, according to Tim O'Neill at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, it was a time of deep trouble in working class neighborhoods. There was a Wall Street financial panic that... Um, caused people to lose jobs and um, their wages went down to like this ridiculous amount of money. I, there was an example of like a dollar a day or something, which is, is nothing even at the time. Um, a dollar a day and, in current money or a dollar a day in their money? Well, I guess I it doesn't remember. matter. 
either way. It was, it was either way. It was nothing. It was right. very, very small amount of money. Um, and there was therefore a big general strike, which is possibly the largest general strike uh, in the history of the U S. Um, and the, the, the high point of the strike was on July 25th in 1877, when workers marched through downtown St. Louis singing the Mar, I can never say this word Marseillaise, which is the anthem of the French revolution. Oh yeah. That, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh-huh. mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Sing it for us. I've seen <laughs> yeah. Um, so according to the Atlantic, in St. Louis, nearly 1,500 striking workers, both black and white, brought all rail freight to a standstill for an entire week. The involvement of the St. Louis Working Man's Party eventually expanded the demands of the protest to include things like a ban on child labor and an eight-hour workday. Uh, business leaders who this made nervous gathered volunteers and guns to form a militia, and more than 600 people marched on the strike headquarters with police uh, who arrested 75 people. And the city and the federal government called the strikes and the supporting marches riots, so they brought in special police to disperse the strikers, killing 18 people and ending the strike. And so within that, I um, yes. want to kind of point out two quick little things. The first one is I love that business leaders were nervous about yeah. banning child labor, right? Yeah, right. Like, what are we going to do without kids? Their little fingers right? are just the perfect size to get into those if machines. If you ban child labor, what's next? Right. <laughs> well, they allowed women to work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe. I, I don't know when women were legally allowed to work. It Probably, or who knows? Um, I know I could Google it. But now I'm like, I should know There's that. There's no We're, way to find out. Was it illegal for women to ever work outside of the home? I don't think so. I think women have always worked. Um, yes, that seems you are right. And whatnot. Ever since, yeah. ever since humans became humans, people have always had to work. And it's stupid yeah. and unfair that we're born without <laughs> our permission. I didn't ask to be born. And now I'm in a land where I have to like earn money to live. But okay. My problem aside, point two, back to back to our real story, um, mm-hmm. the sheer number. So there were 3,000 federal police, federal wow. police that came, and they joined 5,000 special police. So you know that was- What are federal th- police? I have no idea. Okay. I, I didn't Google that. Is that, that like the military? Is that some sort of it, special force? It is, what is say, that? It did, is that like the Coast Guard? I don't know. Capitol Police? I'm going to anyway. tell you exactly, Juliet, that everybody knows that federal law enforcement, the United States, Wikipedia, no. Um, the FBI? Yeah, I haven't a clue. Um, okay. But well, they, they specifically call them federal police. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then joint secret police. And the secret police, I can totally, I know what that is. That was <laughs> some cop in St. Louis just deputizing groups of people randomly, yeah. right? Yeah. And, yeah. okay, you, you're you a cop now. Do what you need, right? So you had right. 8,000 police officers. 5,000 of them were special secret police, right? But wow, 8,000 police officers. And you could, you know, imagine that, like, that's 18... 77 um mm-hmm. wow you know the number. city probably only i don't know what the st louis uh population well, I was, was gonna say that i think there are that many people in st louis but right. then i thought that would be a terrible thing to say <laughs> this podcast should be in. called google says or, 
<laughs> I didn't know, but Google yeah. says. Um, yeah. Okay, so I, I derailed you, but that number, that sheer number of individual police officers to quell yes. a strike was, I'm going to say, striking to me. Thank you. <laughs> so the business leaders were nervous if they brought in 8,000 people to, to, to end the strike. Um, so according to The Atlantic, the year after that, um, a dude named Charles Slayback, who was a great executive and a former Confederate soldier, called a meeting along with his brother, Alonso, to, um, of, of biz- local business and civic leaders uh, to form a secret society. And the point of the secret society... Um, well, the, the stated point of the secret society was to, to sort of um, put together a, a, or an event like Mardi Gras um, and to blend that with the symbolism of the Irish poet, for some reason, Irish poet Thomas More. I don't know what Thomas More had to do with St. Louis, but um, they took some um, uh, mythology from Thomas More's poetry and created uh, the veiled prophet of Khorasan, who is a mystic traveler wearing a veil because he was disfigured, supposedly, who inexplicably decided to make St. Louis his base of operations. And so I, yes. Yeah. And so I, I don't have answers for all of those questions that you, you posed. Why, why yes. the Irish why poet, like Thomas More. why yeah. the, the mysticism I sort of get because this idea of secret societies has sort of always sure. been around, right? So when you look at the Freemasons and all that, but yeah. I love um, that the founding fathers, or the, they're not the founding fathers, Jesus, they, uh, St. Louis was that gateway to the West, and it was going to be this right. big, important city. And it yeah. kind of wasn't becoming this big, important city it had intended itself to be. It was overshadowed by Chicago. And so this is a group of people who are nervous that they are losing their power and their place in society, looking for ways to bolster the image of St. Louis and make it grander and bigger. Yep. And so that's why they're borrowing these this idea of some mythic figure, right, that they had to invent out of whole cloth because St. Louis right. didn't have anything. Right, exactly. So uh, I don't know if you saw the image of the first veiled prophet, the, the picture of the drawing. It looks like a cross between a ghost and a Klansman. Have um, you seen it? I have seen it, but I didn't really look at it. Yeah, it's just nuts. It really does look like a KKK figure, sort of ghostly KKK figure. So they, they, I guess they weren't really trying to hide some of the subtext of their creation. Well, I think the goofy thing is they. it just wasn't even a thing they had to hide. Right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, apparently no one thought twice about it. I guess the KKK was respected in some circles um, back then. In the, I know in the 1920s... Uh, and the, St. Louis is really the South, right? So I would call South and West, right? But I would say it's mm-hmm. more Southern than Northern, and it's mm-hmm. more Western than Eastern. But it's one of those mm-hmm. threshwater places where it's a little bit of, of both. Okay. It's uh, James and I met in St. Louis, so St. Louis holds oh, a did? special place in my heart. Yep. Really? We did. How were you in St. Louis? Uh, on a business trip. Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's all that will be said. Wow. Have you ever been back? No. No, I got a man. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go back. <laughs> so that's where the gay men go to get their boyfriends and their husbands to St. Louis. I didn't well, know no, that. Well, no, it's any a, city you go to when you get a man, you don't have to go back to yeah. that city. <laughs> it's over. Well, that makes perfect sense. 
So the Veil Profit Organization um, created a ball and a parade that, like Theo said, was intended to rival anything in Chicago um, and also uh, intended to revive the agricultural agricultural and mechanical fair that the city had been having but that wasn't doing so well and also to counter the labor unrest that had happened the previous year. So according to um, The Atlantic, one of the purposes, one of the subtext purposes, subtextual purposes of the ball and the parade was to reinforce the values of the elite on the working class of the city. And the first veiled prophet was actually the St. Louis police commissioner. So the... Um, surprise, surprise. The guy who right? uh, probably deputized 5,000 5, secret police. People. Right. So he to gets credit strike. for restoring um, peace uh, right. to the wealthy. And it, yeah, exactly. Restoring inequity to the city of St. Louis. And the, the Veiled Prophet organization's debutante balls still feature the Veiled Prophet. And he's protected by what they call Bengal lancers who wear costumes and darken their skin. And there's also a queen of love and beauty, which we'll hear more about later, who's attended by maids and junior maids. So it still is pretty freaking questionable yeah it's uh yeah i didn't i didn't um catch that part about the who are they the, the bengal lancers yeah and the darkening of the skin that, yeah it's a little bit of a news flash to me and um well i mean continue continue right okay all right. So since the almost from the beginning of the parade, there was public backlash. So they there were uh, confectionery stores sold pea shooters so bystanders could shoot peas at the floats, which I think is hilarious. Um, some people threw rocks, which is less hilarious. Um, and unions held uh, mocking counter parades that sort of, as the I think the Atlantic said, skewered the lavishness of the Veiled Profit organization. And in... Uh, Civil rights protests were held against the ball as well, and uh, in, a, I think, 1969, there were numerous arrests. Uh, Percy Green and the civil rights group known as Action conducted numerous protests against veiled profit activities, and uh, Percy Green has stated numerous times that his goals were to stop the use of the public auditorium for the organization's private party, to get the organization's leaders, who were all heads of St. Louis corporations, to hire more minority workers, specifically black males, and basically to abolish the organization that, um, as it says, flaunted its wealth in front of the city's poorest residents. So in 1972, three white female members of Action crashed the ball using tickets that were given to them by members of the Veil Profit organization. Gina Scott, Phyllis Knight, and Jane Sauer dressed in evening gowns uh, on the night of the ball and entered the auditorium. Sauer threw leaflets from an upper balcony while yelling, down with the Veiled Prophet. So while she was diverting attention, um, Gina Scott slid down an electrical cable towards the stage. Unfortunately, the cable snapped and dropped her about 50 feet onto the stage. Um, and she broke three ribs and blacked out, but then convinced the guards that swarmed around her that she had fallen from the balcony. So they escorted her to the back of the stage, but she, um, she, um, diverted a security person's attention and ran up behind the Veiled Prophet's guards, the Bengal Lancers, and was able to get close enough to yank the mask off the Veiled Prophet. So and the Veiled Prophet was, surprise, surprise, Monsanto Company Executive Vice President Tom K. Smith. Surprise! Um, He's a rich surprise, white surprise. guy. A rich white guy with business links to St. Louis business organ or uh, what? St. Louis, yeah. Society, yeah. Uh, um, but Gina Scott's car was bombed a few months later, and her apartment was repeatedly vandalized. 
So the powerful people were not pleased by the unmasking of Mr. Smith. Um, then this ball still happens. Which, which is so weird to me, right? Because yeah. so uh, when, I, when I found some of these details about the bombing, I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, gosh, uh, that's, that's from, yeah, I hear bombing and I hear racial anything. And I immediately start uh-huh. thinking about um, Birmingham. Right. Sure. And and what happened there, and and okay, sure. Th- those bombings happened because black people were getting out of their place, right? Um, mm-hmm. And here we have, and I'm making an assumption here that uh, was her first name. Oh, Gina. That Gina. Gina Scott's white, right? Oh yeah, she's um, white. Yeah. And. Here we have a woman who's just ripped a cloth mask off of somebody, right? And her and car needs to, to be bombed. Bomb her car, right? Well, it's all symbolic. Well, yeah, yeah. But well, I mean, it's all symbolic, and it's also all life-threatening too, right? And I don't yes. mean, well, I am equating this with with the Birmingham bombings, but I mean that was a, a very different level of, of horrible. And and the Birmingham bombings, I think, were done by uh poor working class people. I think the racial tensions in Birmingham were weren't class divides. Whereas it seems like these tensions in St. Louis really are more about class divides. And so mm-hmm. the idea that the wealthy elite put a Gucci bomb in her car, not to make a joke, but to make a joke. I mean, yeah, it could have been the police supporting the wealthy elite. I mean, it could have been anyone. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's just this idea of like protecting the, well, okay. As we get into it, yeah, white supremacy is more about um, uh, holding on to resources, power, than it is about skin color. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so this this ball, the whatever it's called, the Veiled Prophet ball still happens on the Friday before Christmas every year. It's attended by thousands of people, and it's uh, continued to be protested by civil rights organizations, including Black Lives Matter and uh, Missourians organized for reform and empowerment. Um, the parade, however, changed its date to a 4th of July party and changed its name to Fair St. Louis in the 1990s. So now it's just a, a party with food, fireworks, and concerts. Uh, that builds yes. itself as America's biggest birthday party. And it's kind oh, of is like, that what it's, wow. Well, that's, that's how they build themselves. Right. And it's like, wow. mm, I don't know, guys, well, I think the Statue of Liberty might have something that might be bigger, but, <laughs> but imagine that. I mean, this, this sort of white supremacist based party being America's birthday party. Well, hi. <laughs> <laughs> Not um, very subtle, if you think uh, about it. Um, but it's also that thing of they don't feel the need to be subtle, right? They yeah, don't even see, not. I don't want to say the problem, but, you know, the problem. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah there's, I mean, there's just so much here. Yeah, uh, and uh, to counter that, there was a 2021 statement that came out from the Veiled Profit Organization saying that the organization was dedicated to civil progress, economic contributions, and charitable charitable causes in St. Louis, and said, our organization believes in and promotes inclusion, diversity, and equality for this region. We absolutely reject racism and has ne- have never partnered or associated with any organization that harbors these beliefs. 
Starting which, in 1979 when we allowed black people to join our organization right, for the first time. Right, I mean, Andrews, maybe we didn't hi. partner or associate with any organization that harbors these beliefs, but we kind of are. We don't mind aligning with them. These beliefs. <laughs> we are one ourselves. Um, so that's all I have about the Veiled Prophet Ball, um, except to say that I actually know someone who was a queen of love and beauty. No, stop. I found out while... I do while while going through the list um, in in Wikipedia of all the queens of love and beauty. I saw a name that I knew, and she was a woman that I can't say too much about for various reasons. But because um, she's she powerful is, she's and a, rich, and she'll crush you under her heels. Uh, no, You're not going to say. I can't say. <laughs> no, but her but... family was super powerful and super rich. Um, she's not because she's sort of distanced herself from all of that. But um, she's a feminist oh. leader. Oh, all right. And, well, then I'm going to say good for her. Yeah, um, sort of. That's... But I can't really say. So that's. But, but it's interesting that I know somebody who who has had this role just because I don't know that many debutantes. I mean, I know one other one. My friend from North Carolina uh-huh. uh, was a debutante, and then this person was apparently the queen of love and beauty. Which, my goodness! But she's now much more um, dedicated to civil rights than she was when she was nineteen. Well, years now old, she's so. truly a queen of love and beauty. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, speaking of queens of love and beauty, Ellie Kemper. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, what's coming next? <laughs> Ellie Kemper is a successful comedian and writer. She played a role in The Office, which I never saw, and also held the starring role in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which I really liked um, the show. Uh, she was born in 1980 in Missouri to a super rich family. Her father was chairman and CEO of a bank holding company founded by the family. And the art museum at Washington University in St. Louis is the Kemper Art Museum, named after her great-great-grandmother, I think. Um, Ellie Kemper herself went to Princeton and also spent a year at Oxford. And in 1999... Color me impressed. She... Totally. I yeah, did not know smart. that. I mean, yeah. I knew that, but I didn't know that before I did my research. Right. Um, In 1999, when she was 19 and at Princeton, she was presented as a debutante at the Veiled Prophet Ball, and she was named the Veiled Prophet Queen of Love and Beauty. Um, In June of this year, which is now this month, just last week, I think, her participation in this event caused some backlash on Twitter um, with users not only pointing out the Veiled Prophet Ball's racist and elitist background, but some people claiming that she was a KKK beauty queen, which is not true. Um, the, The Veiled Prophet organization did not have ties to the KKK, and Ellie Kemper did not participate in any beauty pageants with the KKK or associated with the KKK. So um, that much is untrue. But she, I remember reading the, um, the various posts on Twitter as it happened, and I remember wondering when Ellie Kemper was going to speak out. So she didn't speak out right away, which I thought was interesting. She probably, she probably consulted with her PR people. So just jumping in here really quickly to say that um, I was wondering if this was some sort of a PR move on her part, just being quiet. But it seems like she was really just waiting for it all to blow over, that, mm. you know, the Internet um, jumps on a thing and it's a thing for a while and then let it let it disappear. Um, yep. And and then this is all explained in her apology, which I'm I'm excited to talk about, because I'll say that, like. Among my friends, 
you know, week to week, I might mention, oh, this week we're doing this subject or, you know, do you have any thoughts about this uh-huh. subject? Uh-huh. And people are usually like, oh, are you still doing your podcast? Really? <laughs> <laughs> you subscribe. But um, uh, this subject was the one that elicited the the deepest actual conversations. Really? And 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 people raised points that just never even occurred to me as, as I was How doing this, right? Um, I wouldn't have expected people to have heard about it. Um, I, I won't say that people were like very familiar with it, with the Ellie Kemper thing, but more once I, once I told them what it was, then they were like, oh, okay, sure. Um, and then they would share something in their own life, right? Or then they had thoughts about things. So, Great. Um, yeah, so I have a lot of anecdotal gossip that... My friends. I love gossip. Said, yeah, me too. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> hence this podcast. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, there may have been a bit of a PR thing involved in mm-hmm. in her waiting, but uh, part of the waiting was simply it'll blow over. Yeah, and it kind of did, especially after she did come out with her apology. So I, I think it, 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 it calmed down a little bit. And then I think people were waiting for her to say something. And then for a while, I thought maybe she wasn't going to respond at all. And then she did respond. Right. And I will say I had some uncharitable thoughts about Ellie Kemper as this was unrolling. Right. So yeah. when the, the issue was raised and I was like, oh, really? Oh, I liked yeah. that show, and I liked her, but I kind of qu- I quit watching that show after about season two, right? Yeah. Um, maybe midway through season three. I just kind of fell off of it. Um, and then I was like, you know, this this scandal, where is it coming from? Why are we hearing? This happened in 19-fucking-99, right? right? That's so right. long ago that people who were born then have grandchildren. Yeah, sure. Right? Probably. If the math holds up. <laughs> they might. They might. One of them does. Yeah. Right? Um, and so, what? what's up? And then I was like, you know, when Kimmy Schmidt first came out, it was everybody was talking about it. It was one of those original shows on, on Netflix that was like, this is what's making Netflix so great. This is where Netflix is different. It's not just a video service. It's like a production company, right? Uh, amazing. At season two, same thing. And then I just didn't hear anything more about it, season three, season four. So I was like, mm-hmm. I wonder if somebody's just coughed this up to get Kimmy Schmidt into the news, you know, injected into the uh, into the cultural dialogue to raise it up again, right? Like, Well, it's not on anymore, though. Well, season four came out, what, like last year? Uh, no, I think it was, wait, I have it somewhere. Um because I thought season four sort of, I'll say just came out. And when I say just, I mean like within the last six months or whatever. I thought I had it somewhere, but I can't find it now. See, and the fact that we don't know means it's entirely unimportant and irrelevant. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it also just goes to show how far that show has fallen off the radar. Like South Park is still on the air. But remember when you oh, couldn't yeah. go anywhere without seeing a Cartman doll? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, and or The Simpsons, right? And so I thought, maybe maybe her PR department just kind of like planted this little story let's, and was let's like... Let's bring Ellie Kemper back into the limelight yeah. and give her an opportunity to make a really nice apology. Well, more, let's uh, let's bring her into the... into the. going to call it lamplight. 
That's not lamp it. Light. The lamplight. <laughs> Limelight. I'm stuck in the 1870s still with all of it. <laughs> um, and so this all springs from a 2014 article in The Atlantic, right? And in The Atlantic, that original article was just about the VP fair and how weird it is and how it's got yeah. these associations uh, with... Yeah. Uh, KKK imagery, not the actual KKK organization itself, right? But right. maybe once upon a time, their values lined up, and maybe once upon a time, uh, the two members were of members of one, were members of the other. Maybe, probably, right? Who knows? Um, and then it just kind of seems that, like, somehow on Twitter, it just kind of came up. And so, who who brought it up on Twitter? And what I was hoping to get to was some sort of an account that looked like a fake account that I could say, like, this is clearly a PR agency, hmm. right? Posting this and trying to make it go viral so the story gets picked up. So there's some Kimmy mm -hmm. Schmidt news or whatever, or some mm -hmm. Ellie Kemper news. And mm -hmm. maybe she's got an album coming out. Maybe she's got a new movie. I don't know, right? Right, maybe she but, wrote a book, yeah. Yeah, who, maybe there's something that she needs to be back in the news for, Um and we'll find out in the future. But so the best I could get to, and I don't know that this is actually the tweet, right? But um, there was a tweet that was put out on May 31st of 2021, where a Twitter user tweeted, so was no one going to tell me Ellie Kemper was crowned a KKK queen in 1999? And then there's a photo from the uh, St. Louis Dispatch, right? Yeah, yeah. And then a guy that I follow named Rex Chapman on Twitter um, responded with like a, what, right? Now, Rex Chapman has 1.1 million followers. And so my guess is, and this is just me connecting the dots that I found, right? Right. That this, and the user account feels like a genuine user account. It's not somebody who's tweeting only Warner Brothers products, right? Or right. only Netflix right. shows, right? Um, and so... This seems like a genuine example of mob, the mob just going crazy and getting it wrong, right? Sure, um, sure. And so this this got picked up. And as those of us who were following Twitter noticed, all of a sudden, Ellie Kemper is this KKK queen? What? And she's from a rich family? What? Yeah. And surprise. she's, who knew, right? There's yeah, a museum right? named after her grandmother. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. that's money. Right. Right. Um, I just go into museums and touch the exhibits. To have one named after <laughs> me would be an honor right. that I dream not of, um, <laughs> that I'm undeserving of. So, uh, so, yeah. And so then it starts to kind of stack up like, okay, she's rich, she's white entitled she's from the south oh, and in the photo she's wearing an entirely white gown with long white um gloves, gloves. i was going to call them mittens because yeah. that's how sophisticated i am <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine a ball gown with white mittens <laughs> it's so cold outside everyone um and i i easily believed oh there's some there there and then as i started to kind of dig into this it, via Twitter, through Twitter, as I was starting my right. research, right? Right. There was a guy, I don't know who he was, right? And he tweeted um, in response to somebody else, 
Yeah, as you you know, as you can see from these uh, public records, she um, financially supports a Confederate pro-slavery, pro-segregation um, association. And I was like, wow. and then there was like a little screenshot of of a grid. So I clicked screenshot and I opened it up and I was like, what the fuck is this, Ellie Camper? You're giving $250 and 500 bucks and $1,000, you know, at a pop to um, Super PAC. What is this? Is this a Republican organization? She gave $1,000 to it in September of uh, 2020. So what was going okay. on in September of 2020? pre-presidential election. What were people worried yeah. about? Trump not getting into office, right? So what's yeah. a rich white supremacist going to do? She's going to donate $1,000 to the RNC. It was the Democratic National um, Committee. They're the good. ones, right? Well, so good, but I was so quick to believe that right. she's some sort of a white racist that, that right. I wasn't really paying attention to the, the information. The yeah. And if it wasn't for the fact that I have to do research and I have to know what I'm talking about when I get behind a microphone, the rest of the time I can just say whatever I want. But <laughs> that's what made me find out, like, that's what made me find out grammar. Hello. That's what made me look <laughs> into who's this organization? Oh, a Democrat. Oh, okay. So the guy that's making this comment about Ellie Kemper is, is really just slamming. He's a Republican, and he's saying, oh, the Democrats are bad and horrible, and they have a racist past. Uh, well, hi, okay. welcome to fucking America. America's yeah, bad yeah. and horrible and has a racist past. That's everybody, it's yes. all of us, right? Yes. And for me, that's what the Ellie Kemper thing really gets down to. And when we get to her apology, yeah. um, we'll, yes. we'll get to that. And that's also the conversation I was having with my friends, um, that, that each one individually was like, well, you know, how it's just normal. That's what you do, you know, not, I'm not what saying is. that racism is normal, right? But, but whatever, whatever the thing was. So, so Ellie Kemper grows up wealthy and a family that's oh, right. connected right. to St. Going Louis to society, a debutante right? ball is Going normal. to a debutante yes. ball is just the thing that you do. There was yes. not even a thought in her head, you know, right. um, about, I mean, I don't know what she was thinking. Maybe she was like, I hope no black people are there, but I don't think that's what she was <laughs> <God>. thinking. <laughs> well, she, we can talk about her apology now because she does address that in her apology. Um, and she says, when I was 19 years old, I decided to participate in a debutante ball in my hometown. The century-old organization that hosted the debutante ball had an unquestionably racist, sexist, and elitist past. I was not aware of the history at the time, but ignorance is no excuse. I was old enough to have educated myself before getting involved. I unequivocally deplore, denounce, and reject white supremacy. At the same time, I acknowledge that because of my race and my privilege, I am the beneficiary of a system that has dispensed unequal justice and unequal rewards. I believe strongly in the values of kindness, integrity, and inclusiveness. I try to live my life in accordance with these values. If my experience is an indication that organizations and institutions with pasts that fall short of these beliefs should be held to account, then I have to see this experience in a positive light. I want to apologize to the people I've disappointed, and I promise that moving forward I will listen, continue to educate myself, and use my privilege in support of a better society I think we're capable of becoming. And there was another part in that apology that was the oh. most striking to me. Um, I missed it. 
Oh, okay. So um, this was what really resonated, right? Um, it, you know, of course, we'll look at the apology and and discuss like how well crafted it is because this is a gorgeous, beautiful apology to me. Very right? nice. And then I have thoughts about why do I think it's a gorgeous and beautiful apology. Um, okay. And so uh, she says. Um, there is a very natural temptation when you become the subject of internet criticism to tell yourself that your detractors are getting it all wrong. But at some point last week, I realized that a lot of the forces behind the criticism are forces that I've spent my life supporting and agreeing with. Right. So when, when the people that you agree with and the people who share similar ideas and passions and, and perspectives with you or you whatever you you want to be those people and then those people tell you you're kind of not like us and then you say you know you guys come on maybe maybe there's some there there and right for me again for me the there that's there is that we're all ellie kemper right right exactly we've all benefited in one way or another from a system of white supremacy, white privilege, whether it's our entire lives or just a moment, right? Where somebody lets you into the elevator first. I, I don't know, right? Right. Um, right. Uh, and, and when you say we've benefited, you mean white people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, white yeah. people. And then um, I did try it. Uh, okay, so, so here's the story. Friday night, we went okay. out to dinner, blah, 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 blah. And then um, one of one of our friends is from Mississippi. And I was like, I cannot wait to start talking to you because mm-hmm. I know what it's like to grow up in the South. Now, I lived mm-hmm. in North Carolina for five years. That's not really mm-hmm. growing up in the South, but they were my formative years of 13 to 18. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Right. Um, okay. And so when I moved to the South as uh, as a Northerner, and we moved to a very small town in the South. Uh, I was immediately outcast from school, social mm-hmm. circles, period, because I was a Yankee. I had people tell me I was a Yankee, right? It was like oh, yeah, a thing. Sure. Me too. Yeah. 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 And, it, and I was proud. I was like, yeah, you're right. I, I am a Yankee. <laughs> yeah. And we didn't, you know, hold people as slaves, right? Right. Um, and so... Cool. And then, you know, after a couple of years, he's just one of your kid and you want to start fitting in. It's not that I became more Southern. It's just I started to understand there's a Southern perspective. Um, right. And that that's, Southerners weren't all bad, brainless, dumb, horrible people, right? That uh, some of them were really individuals. Uh, let me rephrase that. Human beings, right? Um, and so, so, so there's that. And Whatever. So I wanted to talk to somebody who grew up in the South and still has a Southern accent. Very Southern. Very Southern, right? Very proper old South. And and uh, they were trying to keep us genderless because I did tell them that I would be talking about it on the podcast, but I also mm-hmm. promised that I wouldn't drop a hint as to who they were. Um, okay. Because some of what they said was just a little bit charged, right? And it was, when you grow up in the South and when you grow up within a certain social circle. Right. There are just way things are done. And that's that. And so, uh, and there are ways that things are not done and that's that. And you don't think about it 
because it's normal. It's what everybody's doing. It goes uncommented upon. You don't notice it. So the fact that like all of the cleaning people are people of color, that's just what's normal, right? The fact that you don't hire a white person to clean your house is uh, we're trying to give jobs to, you know, to people of color. Well, that's really not what's going on. What you're saying is that work isn't appropriate for a white person to do as badly as that white person might need the income. Um, And they uh, told me that was a parade that happened in their town that was a big deal. And that that parade had a lot of Old South symbolism in it. And, you know, whenever you talk about the Old South, you are talking about racism, right? You are talking about white supremacy. There was just, that's what the whole fucking war was about. And uh, I remember, I have to throw this in. I remember uh, in the eighth grade in middle school, having a social studies class where the teacher stood up and we were hitting the Civil War. We're looking at America, right? It should have been a history course. And maybe it was history and I just think it was social studies. Uh, it was the eighth grade, who cares? But the, the teacher stood up and said, I'm going to tell you that the Civil War was not fought over slavery. Yeah. The Civil War was about taxes and taxes only. I was told it was about states' rights. Well, yeah, states' rights, taxes, right? Um, <laughs> and and yeah, and it's like that's a, and I'm in the eighth grade, and that's a teacher saying that, right? And I remember thinking like, oh, this is what education really is. It's learning what the truth is about about things. And it's not that I was like, oh, slavery wasn't a thing and it didn't happen, you know, but or that we we didn't look at slavery, we did, but right. We did spend some time looking at the <laughs> happy slaves who were provided That's with right. comfort and had homes and families and became That's part right. of the white family. And, That's right. you know, were well taken care of and provided for because do you, you know, chop off the foot of your hunting horse? No. Right. Right. Exactly. Do you burn That's your house down? No. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that, that was the thing. Right. And. I wish I could go back in time now and just be like, this is balderdash, but, (laughs) but no. And so it's, it's just that thing of like Ellie Kemper didn't have any reason to ever think about the question, the uh, VP, the veiled prophet, anything. Right. Uh, Because it was just simply like Christmas. It's a thing you did. Yes, Exactly. Yeah, a lot of people don't question very much about their history or their what they're going through, their their socioeconomic class or their religion. Or yeah, you just wake up and you get through life. your day, and so, and that's all you're doing. And then yeah. eventually somebody points out to you, as, as happened to Ellie Kemper, and as is happening to white society, white society, ugh, um, white people, sure, maybe in, in sure. general, is we're we're continuously finding out. I and mean, we sort of thought like with Black Lives Matter that like, oh, okay, we get it and we're there and we support you. And yes, and white supremacy is bad and we're racist and this is bad and we're sorry and we're going to do better. And now we're discovering, oh shit, all these things that we do. Like, And so I was trying to think of like, what event have I participated in that was inadvertently, accidentally, I didn't know it was some form of racial blah, blah. Um mm-hmm. And I couldn't think of any, but, you know, I keep coming back to, like, something like, not Christmas per se, exactly, but, like, you know, what what thing do I, did have I unconsciously, or not unconsciously, 
because I've done many things unconsciously. Hey, Bourbon, I'm looking at you. Um, well, there, well, there is Thanksgiving. <laughs> you are so smart. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Exactly. There is yeah. Thanksgiving. Um, yeah. I was very focused on racism, white, black, right? Hi, or white supremacy in general as a subjugation of any other class of people who don't, you know, belong to white. our group, right? right. Um, and so, uh, one of the other people at the party on Friday has a child who's biracial, and uh, they were telling me that they have gone, moved to a fancy neighborhood on purpose so that their child could have access to the school, which is a great school and everybody wants to get into it, right? And that their um, biracial child was um, told by other students at the school that um, the child, the biracial child, Again, sorry, guys, I know this is weird. I'm saying a lot of things like, what? Um, But I'm just trying to be respectful of people's privacy. And so being gender neutral and not saying any names at all. Um, Mm -hmm. And so uh, the kid was told that uh, they were whitewashed. You're not really a person of color. You're whitewashed. Right? Um, What does that have to do with anything other than it did get the parent thinking well, have I done the right thing by putting my child in this school, which was strictly for educational purposes? And then is it is it fair to say to my child, you must be exposed to this other culture too, because people anticipate that that's going to be a culture that you're familiar with? And I hate using words like culture, but I, I just don't have another term for, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. for that. And um, as, a, as a member of... I mean, I say my family's biracial, but my sister's family is biracial. Um, mm-hmm. And we don't, I mean, you know, we might have general conversations about race, but we don't have conversations about race. So mm. when my uh, niece told me that she identified as black and her DNA, she was surprised we were having this conversation because 23andMe told her she was 75% white. And, and she was surprised and didn't know what to do with that information because she's always considered herself black. And I was like, I, I never, I never, that never even entered my head that you would be picking a side. Yeah, I don't want to say right. picking a side, but you know what I mean? Like that yeah, you yeah. Th- needed to identify, right? I, th- I sort right. of thought that my immediate family was outside of that realm because we are politically progressive. That's interesting. I never thought of that either. Yeah. Um, and so... What do we, you know, what do we do with it? Can I bring that back to a point of Ellie Kemper? Watch me dance. Um, no, uh, but yes, I can because there, there just are these things that we don't think about. We, we take for granted that, like your example of Thanksgiving, right? Mm-hmm. And my uh, short sightedness in keeping white supremacy is focused strictly on white and black, and not even thinking about like, oh. It's even bigger than that, you know? Yeah, yeah. So what can we say except yeah. it's all the queen's fault? <laughs> it's all Ellie Kemper's fault, and she did handle oh, I meant the her queen. apology very it's well. It's England's oh, fault. Oh, queen. Yeah, oh, the queen. queen. Sure, that's fine. Um, but yeah, Ellie's apology was very good, 
I think it was very well done. Um, it hits all of the high points of an apology. It talks about taking responsibility and um, what she's going to do moving forward. And there is an apology that actually says she's sorry. Um, the one thing, the one thing that I would say about it that sort of jumped out at me was that it focused on the past history of the Veiled Profit organization rather than acknowledging that it's sexist and elitist today. Um, but that maybe that's a step she didn't feel ready to take. I don't, I don't know. Um, she didn't criticize the organization in her apology, but she did. Well, she did say that it had a sexist, racist and elitist past, but I think that there's, it's more in the present it continues to be. Well, her family racist, knows sexist, some of the people that belong to that organization. And so she's well, not going right. to say that uncle Charles is elitist and racist, He's racist, sexist and elitist. Right. Yeah. So that's the only flaw I found with her apology. So it's probably time to rate the apology of um, Ellie Kemper. Um, I was going to say Kimmy Schmidt. Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> I myself would give this apology a nine. I think there's that one flaw that I have, one problem I have with it, but otherwise I think it's a very good apology. It's well-written. It's thorough. Um, it's positive. Uh, what do you think, Theo? I also give it a nine. Um, wow. Yes, and I didn't see that fault in it that, that you pointed out. I was just like, this is such a great apology. And I read the apology to, dare I say, and yeah, I will, I can't say this. I read the apology to James, and he was like, "Yeah, oh, that's not any good at all. And I was like, really? what do you mean? This is great. He was like, no, she shouldn't have to apologize at all. She wasn't doing anything that she knew was wrong, blah, 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 blah. And then he had uh, other things to say. Huh. And. I, I was just really taken with, she shouldn't have apologized at all, right? And I'm like, I could see where where people might, and plenty of people have said, hey, no yeah. apology was necessary. Uh, Ellie Kemper, you didn't do anything wrong. And then uh, he also said at, at the end, right, he was like, please don't cancel her. And I was like, <laughs> we're not going to. We like we have the power to cancel anybody. We are only canceling one person a month, right? Yeah, that's we right. And it's not Chrissy Teigen, month. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, I I gave it a nine, and then that didn't sit well with me because I kept coming back to it's a gorgeous apology. It's it's beautiful. It feels sincere. Um, she went to Princeton. So, of course she knows. So, of course she's going to be oh forgiven gosh. immediately. No, but I mean, of course she knows how to write a, an essay. Yes, yeah, she's a writer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and there's I didn't know that she was a writer. So, there's that there's that aspect of it as well. And so whatever, I'm all yay, she's getting a 9 because, you know, this this is real well this is very well crafted and it feels sincere and it doesn't feel like it's coming out of a PR agency. Um, right. And then I thought, okay, I'm a white person giving another white person a nine for apologizing for participating in a a oh. racial thing that they didn't know. You know, right. I'm all willing to be like, they didn't know, they didn't know. And, I, and I'm quick to forgive her. Is that because I want and need the same forgiveness myself? And then what would a person mm. of color say, feel, right? And then the fact that one person of color or two people of color say or feel something, does that even mean anything? Right. Because when yeah. does one person's opinion become the voice of an entire, uh, I'm not, uh, movement. Right. Um, and so it, it was, uh, it was a lot. I kept thinking like, well, I mean, she didn't do anything. 
She just went to so a party and don't hate me because I'm beautiful and rich. Right. And maybe that's what some of it is. Boo on you for being rich. We thought you were a working class waitress who'd made your way up as, you know, through the through the ranks. But no. Right. But you're actually super rich and. Yeah, so I'd be very interested in in hearing, and of course I did look on Twitter for uh, for voices of support from people of color, and they are there. Yeah, right. Yeah, Titus. Yes, Burgess was one. One, yeah. one of them, right? Um, but I kind of discounted him. Um, yeah, because they're friends. Yeah, I was absolutely ready to discount that because they're friends. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so did you end up giving um, the apology a different score than a nine? No, no, okay. I did not. Because then I nine. thought, well, I'll raise the issue. This is how I really feel, right? Now, okay. is there subconscious uh, bias happening? I probably, sure. maybe, but I... Oh, of course there is. Uh, at the it same time, is. I could point to a lot of things in it that, that stack up with our requirements. And so, well done, um, Ellie. You get a nine and you are not canceled. And you're welcome, James. Yes, <laughs> we do not cancel Ellie Kemper, uh, even though she's extremely privileged. Um, so I was thinking about um, just racism in in un- in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and that led me to think about Tina Fey, who herself, um, well, she Tina developed Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt with someone named Robert Carlock, who I don't know, um, and it was actually developed for Ellie Kemper, which I didn't know, which is interesting. Um, but Tina Fey has had to apologize for racism in 30 Rock, which was her previous show from 2006 to 2013. And she requested that streaming platforms remove several episodes that actually feature blackface, saying, as we strive to do the work and do better in regards to race in America, we believe that these episodes featuring actors in race-changing makeup are best taken out of circulation. I understand now that intent is not a free pass for white people to use these images. I apologize for pain they have caused. Going forward, no comedy-loving kid needs to stumble on these tropes and be stung by their ugliness. I thank NBC Universal for honoring this request. So there's some questionable, I'll call it racism, in Kimmy Schmidt. Um, I think in some cases... um, race is handled well. For example, with Titus, I think Titus is a brilliant character. Uh, And in the first episode, I think it's the first episode, he dresses up as a werewolf for his job as a singing waiter. Oh, I remember that. And finds out, yeah, he finds out that he gets treated better on the streets as a werewolf than a black man. So he keeps wearing the costume, which is, I think, amazing. It's it's funny and brilliant. Um, And true. But I think, and and true. (laughs) It's funny because it's true. Um, But I think, well... And this is where I don't think I necessarily have the, the the ground to stand on to criticize this, but it seems to me that his homosexuality is extremely exaggerated. I mean, it is. He's 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 very flamboyant. I guess would be the word. Um, and I don't know if that's okay. Right. I guess. And then I, I, I don't. Right. It, well, totally right. And so that's uh, a discussion, debate, thing within uh, gay culture. And I say gay culture, meaning my friends, right? Like some people are like, oh, that's too, too much, too flamboyant. And then other people are like, you've got to live and express yourself. And so there are people who are um, quite flamboyant, right? For for whatever the reasons are. And 
And each reason is as varied as as the individual who is exhibiting the behavior, right? So for some people, it's internalized homophobia that they are working against. So by being extremely flamboyant, they're fighting the thing inside themselves that they hate by causing it, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. Um, Yeah, yeah, I I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah. It's hard to say, but I think that his character is is pretty close to actually being the star of the show. And I think that... Yeah, and I think that he stands in for Tina Fey as as herself in some of the episodes, like the one, the critically criticized, critically criticized one, Kimmy Goes to a Play. I don't know if you saw that one where um, he is he performs a one-person play about his former life as a geisha. Yes. Yes. I have so, seen that. Uh, so according to something I read, uh, written by David... Attenborough? Uh, I don't know how to say Kyson, who? <laughs> David Attenborough, the British. I don't know who that is. Uh, oh, he does all the nature documents. You know his voice. Oh, Attenborough. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, so uh, David writes that the episode of the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, titled "Kimmy Goes to a Play," is widely understood as Tina Fey's unapologetic response to anti-racist criticism of the first season. So, in the first season, a couple of things happen. Um, well, there's 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 Titus himself, and then there uh, is the character, the Vietnamese character named Dong, um, who is questionable. Also, um, I oh, think yeah. with Dong, yeah, I think that they had the opportunity to do something really interesting with Kimmy's boyfriend vietnamese boyfriend dong but they didn't they made him um the butt of various unfunny jokes so first off he's played by a korean man like couldn't they get a vietnamese guy to play a vietnamese guy i don't understand that and second he's a stereotypical asian he's hardworking. he's smart and he's good at math so th- th- he made a really funny joke in i guess one of the early episodes saying that kimmy was um, vietnamese for penis which which is funny and is is a good joke but that's the only really good joke they, they gave him. And the rest of it, he's just kind of stereotypical. And then also in season one, Jane Krakowski, who I love, absolutely love, um, is cast as a, a at least partly Native American woman. And she denies her heritage initially. And later on, she um, sort of claims it in a, in a kind of a weird way and also starts to argue against stereotypical portrayals of, of um, Native Americans. But... Um, her parents are, I think, questionable in that they're extremely stereotypically, um, quote unquote, Indian. And they're actually Indian um, Native American people playing the parents, which I think is, is a good thing. But the whole thing just confuses me. I don't know what take you have on that. I, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I do remember feeling a bit uncomfortable. And it was very typical. See, I hate racism so much. I can't even say that <laughs> word, stereotypical. <laughs> Yeah. But they were uh, straight off the reservation, and I was like, uh, uh, "Okay, I mean, I don't mind liking uh, this, this. Is weird. This, yeah, it was it was a bit much." Um, but you know, so the thing with, and so this is what I don't know, right? Because Tina Fey refuses to return my calls. Yeah, and I've asked her. Um, <laughs> so is Kimmy Schmidt just straight up, we're writing this stuff and we think it's funny, or is there something deeper going on? So Kimmy Schmidt is a woman that was rescued from a bunker who had um, been, I don't know if she grew up inside a fundamentalist religion, right? But whatever, she's from the, within Kimmy Schmidt, what you have is the trope of country bumpkin in the urban world, right? And in mm-hmm. the urban world, is better and smarter, and the joke is always on the country bumpkin, 
right? Except the country bumpkin has a heart of gold and there are real values there that are worth knowing. And And so are we really seeing the characters as they are, or are we seeing the characters through Kimmy Schmidt's characters' understanding of them? So somebody from a bunker, somebody from a country, a country? No, the country. (laughs) The country? Yeah. Somebody from a country, somebody from the country (laughs) who's never met a gay person. If they met a gay person, what would jump out at them would be the gayness, right? Um, Uh, And so maybe what we're seeing as heightened, and I am really doing some English major bullshitting here, like this would be my paper, right? Well, (laughs) I I could build this argument, right? I, I could find examples within the show if I went back where I could say, all, all of these characters exist because the name of the show is Kimmy Schmidt, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's not Titus and his friend, right? And if it was Titus and his friend, maybe Kimmy would be missing a front tooth. Uh, methadone. T- methadone? No. What do you call that? Uh, oh, my God. Oh. Crystal meth. This is meth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Methadone teeth. Maybe that is a thing. I don't know. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, maybe maybe she would be the the joke. But the the whole Kimmy Schmidt thing is just it's a height hyper uh hyper absurdity, hyper realistic cartoon, right? And so um Lillian is crazy, crazy, crazy. Um yeah. and maybe maybe she would read very normal if it was a real world and I was her next door neighbor. Right. And maybe right. Titus would be 50% less gay. Or maybe be twice as yeah. gay. Right. Who, who knows? But I, I think there might be some of that happening in there. I think maybe, and this is, I admit, this is reaching. I haven't had to write an essay in a couple of years, and maybe I'm hungry for it. I think maybe Tina Fey is saying um, that we're all Kimmy Schmidt. And that, no, she's not saying that at all. I just want to use that line again. Um, she might be. Well, I mean, like, see, the power of my English yeah, major bullshit <laughs> ability, that's my real superpower. Um, so, she, so, so you're I saying think there's something going on takes, there. You think that she's taking these stereotypes and using them against themselves? Yeah. Yeah. So. Now, is she okay. conscious? I mean, and I, I think she might even be consciously doing that because um, Tina Fey is a sane, rational, I've heard her, you know, she supports the causes I support, right? I don't sure. think there's any anything scary about her. Um, it, things is, I would care about. Is I agree with you there. But is using racist stereotypes in any form, is that anti-racist? Depending on how you use them, I suppose. Because if you can show that these stereotypes fall apart and are hysterical because they're stereotypes and that it's, they're funny because they're not true and that we can see that the untruth within the stereotype, then, then yeah, you could use stereotypes as a tool. Of, we have terminology for stuff like this yet, like anti-racism tools. <laughs> I'm sure we do. <laughs> Probably. It's called <laughs> friends, Theo. <laughs> it's called allies. But um, yeah, but yeah, I I I think you can. I I hear your point. Is perpetuating a stereotype actually doing service for 
the let's use the word enemy, right? Um, yeah. For the for the racist, and I mean, arguably yes, but I I think they can be. I'm not saying that they that is a great thing to do, and that everybody should try that. I'm saying it takes right. a special level of skill to play with stereotypes and get away with it in a way where yeah. where they're funny. The, the danger therein, as Tina Fey discovered, is that some things are funny in 1998, and then they're not funny in right. 2018. Yeah. Right? And so that may very well be what happens. Well, it's what's going to happen with everything, right? Hopefully. I mean, hopefully we all improve so much that whatever we do now is just a, a, something. A matter that we all are ashamed for everything we've laughter. ever done. Yes, that's right, because we get so much better than we are now. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I have to think about what you said because there's there's some truth to it, I think. Um, but I, I think about looking at at um, these stereotypes as portrayed in Kimmy Schmidt from the perspective of someone like maybe... Um, A 13-year-old in West Virginia? Yeah. Somebody who doesn't and have the like, ability to have the, uh, understand uh-huh. nuance. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there'd be a way of... And see where that gets me. Well, but then, you know, the it done done well and done brilliantly right then that that mechanism would still serve the same function i'm working here i'm really really okay. working hard to I'm make this i'm waiting to see what your point is to, i'm going to get there it, <laughs> i can see the bus coming down the road and i'm at the bus stop and it's headed my way and i can see the sign and yep. i'm just filling some time until it gets <laughs> cuz i'm arrives. so old and nearsighted it, Right. But on that goddamn bus, there's a 13-year-old from West Virginia who just watched an episode of Kimmy Schmidt and saw a hyper uh, cartoon reality version of, of a gay person, right? Yeah. And, um, and thinks, well, that just is so wonderful. How amazing. Okay. Right? Okay. How how lovely that somebody like that could have a friend that's a blonde right. white girl like Kimmy Schmidt and that they right. can love each other. And maybe I can do the same thing with this guy that's getting ready to get on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That was me, 100%. Um, yeah. I, I'll say this, right? Sort of my my big takeaway from all the Ellie Kemper stuff um, yeah. isn't that like, oh, we're all inadvertent racist or that white supremacy is a thing or, you know, collectively, what what can we do? I, I don't have those answers. And thankfully, it's not my job to to have them. It's just my job to be a good citizen and do what I can do uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, vote the right way, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Bleeding heart liberal. I'm going to go outside and hug some trees later. But my big takeaway was, Twitter stokes mob rule. And I was oh, totally. real quick to believe everything. And and it's only because I went just one, just because I scratched the surface that I was like, oh, yeah. absolutely none of this is a thing. None of this is true. Yep. There is no outrage yep. here. So I would like to read, uh, in, I'll say in closing, but yeah, in closing. Sure, yeah. From um, the cut section of, New York Magazine. This was written on June 8th, 2021. It'll be referenced in our show notes. Um, And so this is about 
the L.A. Kemper and the L.A. Kemper, the L.A. Kemper scandal, right? Mm-hmm. And so the story was that someone was mad at her and Twitter's editorial team knew that amplifying those tweets would keep users clicking and scrolling. Orwellian dystopian analogies come pretty cheap these days, but instead of two minutes hate, it's a 24-hour buffet. Twitter points to people who have been declared fair game for punching and the mob gleefully piles on. It's not just that these stories are born on the website and or the app. Um, It's that Twitter actively nurtures them, promotes them, and throws their scapegoats to the wolves. For a platform that likes to style itself as a place that takes harassment and abuse seriously, it's especially ironic. Twitter will protect certain high-profile users who complain about abuse, but it also foments drama on purpose and by design. Like the high school teacher who plays favorites with the cool kids and always happens to be looking the other way when some unpopular schlub is being tormented right under his nose. There's an off-sited study about Twitter trends in which researchers found that negativity is the key to going viral, but the truth, which most users understand intuitively, is more nuanced. The best way to drive engagement is to give people an excuse to be cruel, and that what's happening sidebar, it's not just a list of topics, sometimes it's a list of targets. And Mm. I'm going to say I absolutely agree with that perspective. Um, And so this is something that fortunately there was no there there, because if it had been a KKK ball and Kimmy, Kimmy, Jesus Christ, Ellie Kemper. (laughs) See, Kimmy Schmidt is a more believable name to me than Ellie Kemper. <laughs> Ellie Kemper just sounds fake. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend, Ellie Kemper. Right. Um, <laughs> so I forgot what I was going to say because uh, that Ellie Kemper name, again, is just so fake. But yeah, if so if there had been some there there, and let's say that like her dad was in the KKK and she didn't know that it was the KKK and he took her to the father-daughter dance and... She got there and same people she's always seen at barbecues and she had a nice dance and they got a photo and great, but it was the KK and she didn't know. I mean, you're canceled. Yeah. That'd just be the end of everything, right? So fortunately, it was a less father-daughter KKK dance, which is yeah. a thing, I wonder. I'm sure it is. I mean, they have purity dances, so I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Twitter is definitely dangerous. And the more I'm on Twitter, the less I feel like I should be on Twitter. Twitter is what needs to be canceled and Facebook is what needs to be canceled. But the drag is that neither of those would be a problem if they didn't involve people. So people need to be canceled. Yeah, people are the problem. (laughs) (laughs) So we're canceling everyone. You have been canceled. (laughs) Yay. We solved the problem again this week. Yeah. We're so great. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> We're happy to do that service for you. Sorry that we and, canceled uh, we'll you. Back, we'll be back next week, uh, whether you're canceled or not. <laughs> you're uncanceled. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. listening to Apologies Accepted, the podcast. You can find links to the articles and the sources in the show notes. To submit an apology or find out more, visit us at ApologiesAccepted.net, where you can also find our merchandise. We're on Twitter at Apologies Accepted. And on Instagram at Apologies.Accepted. You can support our important work at Patreon forward slash Apologies Accepted. And fuck Facebook. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.